This podcast is the design of City Sites Urban Media, and our goal is to bring into focus the difference between culture and God's ideas found in His Word. To learn more, go to citysitesurbanmedia.com. Like many of you, I didn't know what human trafficking was. I also thought pimps only existed in rap videos. But I remember the exact moment I found out they were real. I started to read and quickly realized that what had been happening to me for the past year had a name. I was human trafficked, and I'm a human trafficking survivor. He pulled up to an escort service, and he said, this is how it works in Vegas. I've spent a lot of money to get you here. I put first and last on an apartment. I filled your fridge up with food, and you're gonna need to get earn that money back. I felt trapped. You didn't know if you were gonna live or die. You didn't know what he was gonna do or what he was capable of, and so it's, it was really scary. So it made you always walk in fear of your trafficker. This is the City Sites Podcast with Larry Kutzler. The statistics for human trafficking are horrendous. Some news reports have stated that the drug cartels are eagerly investing more time and resources in this industry because it rivals the profits from drugs. Human trafficking affects victims of all ages, and children are sadly the greatest victims. It has been reported by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children that one out of seven runaways are likely child sex trafficked victims. So I wanted to talk to someone who was on the front lines of trying to help the victims of human trafficking, and especially someone who is helping women break free. Ked Frank is the executive director of Refuge for Women, a nonprofit faith-based organization headquartered in Lexington, Kentucky. The organization currently has five centers around the country, with two more opening shortly. The We Believe statements of Refuge for Women are simple, but profound in declaring support for victims of human trafficking. I believe these statements sum up what the organization is all about. We believe that every woman matters that each woman should have the means and resources to pursue the dreams they've had since they were little girls. We believe that these women need honest hope and honest love to be restored and redeemed. We believe that each woman deserves to walk without their past defining their future. And we believe that women can walk free, stepping out of the chains that have bound them for so long. We believe in women. So my guest today is Ked Frank, and we're going to talk about the hope that his organization, Refuge for Women, brings to women who have been trapped by human trafficking. Ted, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Larry, for having me. I appreciate it. So, Ked, I'm curious. I mean, you were trained as a pastor. You've been to various theological schools. Why didn't you go into traditional ministry in the local parish? Well, uh, you know, Larry, I think like a lot of people, you know, I came across awareness of some of the things that were going on with sex trafficking across our country. And, you know, I, I was actually I was actually working at a church here in, in Lexington, Kentucky, when I had the opportunity to meet some women for the very first time who were trapped in sex work, who were wanting to 
get out. And once your heart gets involved and once all of a sudden you, you realize that just a, an epidemic of problems in this arena, you know, it was one of those things I couldn't get away from it. And my wife and I both just felt like that God was calling us to do something. And so I've been working at the church for four years and ended up deciding to step out. And on our website, there's actually the, the story, I call it three conversations that just made it very, very clear to us that should we do this, should we not do this? But it was very clear that I was going to be disobedient if we didn't create a safe place for these women to go. But as people learn about this and, and they just realize some of the atrocities that are happening, it's disturbing. And it calls for people to respond at that point. Well, I think everyone sort of knows about human trafficking. I mean, they hear it in the news and, and so forth. But perhaps just to be clear, let's give a definition, yep. your definition of what human trafficking is all about. I like to use three words. I just think, you know, again, there's, there's multiple sentences that can go into the definition of trafficking. But, you know, for me, force, fraud, and coercion are the, the words the government uses. And so, you know, in that, it involves things like tricking people. You know, there was breaking news here just a couple of weeks ago out of Southern California with a, a website that people thought they were coming to do modeling gigs. And here it ended up that it became something they were using as, as a porn site. And you see that kind of stuff where you, maybe people even come from overseas and they think they're coming for employment employment in one sense, and they find out that it's a completely different situation. And so, again, maybe they're going to hold their passports or they trick them in some capacity to lure them in, and now they're they're stuck. A lot of times, what we see, Larry, with, with the trafficking for us is that, you know, again, as we've been doing this for 10 years now, we'll hear the stories from the, the residents of saying, you know, hey, I started selling myself or, or being sold by somebody when I was, you know, 14, 15 years old. And so, legally, any kind of exchange for goods or material possessions, money, any kind of for sex when somebody's under the age of 18 is human trafficking. And so, again, maybe they were working for themselves, you know, in prostitution or dancing, but yet because they started when they were 14, 15, sometimes even younger, they're considered a human trafficking victim. And then you have those other very extreme situations. And again, we've had these multiple times where, you know, they were sold as kids by their parents because of drugs. And so they were sold, you know, to somebody for sex when they were four, five, six years old. And you start hearing them kind of stories and it's just, it's hard to fathom. It literally is hard to fathom and it's disturbing. And volunteers that are involved with refuge or staff, again, they have to figure out how to process that themselves and not lay awake at night as they're thinking about just the way that humans can treat other humans. But people learn about human trafficking and they just, they realize just the inhumane kinds of things that take place. It's amazing to me. I'm always shocked at the fact that human trafficking exists in the 21st century. I mean, exactly. there's always been prostitution. It's, as they say, the oldest you know profession. But the way exactly. that women are trafficked today is, is horrendous. In fact, according to the Department of Defense, human trafficking is the world's fastest growing crime. And of those who fall victim to trafficking, only 1%. Now, this is what's really interesting. Only 1% yeah. are rescued. So let's talk about that for a minute. I mean, 1%, Ked. I mean, that's just yeah. hardly anything. Exactly. And again, sometimes we think this is an international problem, which which it is. But again, the need across the country of the United States of America, it's so huge. And the amount of people that are actually getting out is a very, very small number. And there's reasons behind that, more than what I can list right now. But part of the reason that, that you know, there's so few people that, that actually are, are rescued out of it, because it does exist in the, the shadowy aspects of our society. The other thing, too, is that sometimes some of the women don't even know that they're being trafficked. Sometimes women will come into our program and we'll start talking to them a little bit about the definition of human trafficking and they'll start learning about it and all of a sudden they'll be like, you know, I experienced every single one of those 
but they thought the individual who was trafficking them was actually somebody who actually cared about them, somebody who was a boyfriend. And so all of a sudden they thought, oh man, once he knows where I'm at, he's going he's gonna to come looking for me, he's going to find me, whatever, and he never shows up. And they start realizing that I was nothing more than a, a dollar sign to him. The, the other thing, too, is that because prostitution is illegal in 99% of the United States, you know, all of a sudden it's like the idea of you know, maybe the women are being told as well, too, that, you know, again, if, if you go to law enforcement, again, you can't trust law enforcement, or you're going to end up going to jail. As well, I'll go to jail, you'll go to jail. You know, again, I'll hurt your family. You know, so there's so many different ways that perpetrators are keeping the victims silent so that they don't report. There are so few of convictions that actually happen of traffickers, and one of the ways is that actually getting women to testify, sit on a, a stand and testify against somebody is very, very challenging because they're so afraid. Mm -hmm. They've seen the violence. They've seen the network of people they're connected to, and for many times it, it does. It just is, you know, even though they realize that there are other people that are continuing to oppress, the idea of actually going to law enforcement and reporting. Now, we've had different women who have testified and, and traffickers have actually gone to prison for life. Homeland Security mm -hmm. flew them in, flew them back out of that city. But it was a major, major ordeal because of the fear of what they're capable of and what could be the repercussions of me doing this. But at the same time, they decided it's the right thing to do and I'm going to protect and save lives. But it's a scary thing for them. Unfortunately, many, many people don't get the help that they needed because of how confused they are. Does this person care? Do they not care? Will there be repercussions to me and my family if I come forward with some of this information? Right. Well, I would think as well that some of these traffic individuals are abused people from their past. So how does that play a part? I mean, they're all already vulnerable because of some kind of past experience with abuse. I mean, they're vulnerable that way, and so I can understand why they're hesitant. I was talking last night, Larry, to a group of men just last evening, and I was telling them about one of the things we always educate people on, especially men, especially men, is to say the women that are in the strip clubs, the women that are in pornography, the women that are out there on the streets, they may be they may have a smile on their face. They may be, you know, portraying that this is a wonderful, wonderful line of work, and I get paid to party, and I get paid to, you know, have sex. And but the reality is, is that once they're away from all of that, and we have a chance to work with them for a year, they start to talk about the abuse. They start to talk about the violence. They start to talk about the addiction, and the tears start to flow because they feel safe to actually start opening up, maybe for the first time in their lives. They will start to talk about. Some of the things that as little girls that they experienced in therapy again we talk about adverse childhood experiences it's called the ace so you can look that up online that you know an ace score adverse childhood experiences hmm. and they'll have boxes that they'll check so when women in their 20s and 30s are starting to act out in ways or they're experiencing very risky types of behavior if you go back to when they were four five six seven eight years old and they start talking about the first and second time that they were raped as little girls. They start talking about the boyfriends that mom would have coming into the home. They would talk about the childhood sexual abuse. Over 90% of the women that we've served since 2010 are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. They will start talking about this didn't go on once or twice. This went on for three, four, five, six years of regular sexual abuse. And so those are very developmental years when they were sexualized by one individual or more. And so they start to believe that sex 
is the way that they get attention. There's no reason to say no. There's no reason to speak up because nobody respects my boundaries. Mm. They don't even, many of them have never even heard of the word of boundary. And so the abuse, again, from violence, but primarily from sexual abuse and sexual violation, this is what they have come to know, experience, expect. This is what men want from me. This is the way I survive. And so it does really resonate for many, many, many of them in a whole lot of childhood trauma. So we tell groups that. We tell them. They may be laughing. They may be smiling. First of all, many of them are under the influence because they don't do what they do sober. They can't stomach it. They don't do what they do sober. But at the end of the day, it's not a party and it's not fun for them. This is very traumatic and they're, they're trying to survive. They're trying to feed kids or they're being perpetrated by somebody else taking their money at the end of the day. That's a little bit of pulling back the veil to say, here's what's really going on in pornography. Here's what's really going on in the strip clubs not what you think it is. One more reason why none of us should be supporting this industry because it's much, much darker Mm -hmm. than than what you realize. Well, I think and that gives some insight into how devastating this problem is. It's not just somebody who is in the profession of prostitution. I mean, it goes back to some really damaged human beings. And that probably is another reason why it's so hard to get healing through to these folks. I know that there's a statistic that says that some of these women go through seven or eight different programs, including drug and rehab programs, and yet they still are trapped. They, they want to get away in a most desperate way because they know it would be nice not to be in this industry, but yet they just don't seem to make the leap. It can be one of those head scratchers when you're going, okay, I thought that you were wanting help, and then two weeks later you decide to, to take off. You're just going, you know, what, what's the deal here? And it, it can be. It, and it can be it can be challenging. It can be frustrating. Addiction is one of those things where, you know, day one when they come into our homes, you have to deal with the addiction. And so maybe they've been sober for 10 days. Maybe they've been sober for, for two weeks. And they haven't been sober in a long, long time. And so it's not that they don't want help, and it's not that they don't want to get away, but yet that addiction is controlling them in a way that they haven't learned how to have the tools yet to deal with those crazy and deal with, you know, all that's going to go on, you know, all that's going to have to change in living a, a sober life. And so maybe they had the addiction when they went into the industry, or maybe they developed the addiction while they were in the industry. But now I've got to deal with this because I haven't, I haven't lived life on life's terms in 10 years. I've checked out and escaped any kinds of feelings, any kind of pain. So all of a sudden we start getting them into therapy and we start peeling back and opening up some of the closets, you know, that were very, very traumatic for them. And, and all of a sudden to feel those feelings, to have to look at the abandonment, you know, from their family or, you know, grieve some of the losses of what they've seen and experienced in life or grieve even that maybe they feel like they've wasted 20 years. So they start dealing with all that. It's very challenging. And so sometimes they want to run, they want to escape, you know, and so that's certainly addiction is, is one of the reasons. The other thing too is for many women, because it's so familiar to them, this idea that as bad as what it is living with this trafficker or this abuser and as bad as it is selling myself on a daily basis, it's what I know. It's what has become familiar to me. Right. And so you're painting this picture to say life can be different. That all sounds amazing, but I have no idea what that even looks like. I have no idea how to survive in that world. But this world that I'm in, as dysfunctional as it is, and as scary as it is, I have learned how to manage. And so just even the staying in the familiar can be sometimes what may keep 
people locked in to live in, in in some of those things. And you're telling them that there's a whole other life out there that could be available that we can walk with you on. But, you know, they may dabble in that and then decide to go back. And, you know, and that's where the four times, five times, six times, seven times, we've actually helped women that we were like their 17th program that they've been in. And it stuck. It took. Mm-hmm. They completed the program. They graduated. And they're, they're actually sober today. 17 program. And um, it, it is. I mean, for people that maybe haven't worked, you know, in the, in the world of recovery, it can it can be real real confusing. It's that journey. It's that journey of of change. Change is is very challenging and it's scary. And uh, and we have to be there when they're saying I want help. That's when we're there walking with them. And if they you know decide to, to go back and ex- experience some more of that pain, it's you're waiting for them for the next time that they say I'm ready. I'm ready to do some of the hard work again. One of the things I really appreciate about your organization, Refuge for Women, is that you not only bring the healing and the hope to these women, but you're also allowing the public to understand the problem. Sometimes that educational part is so important, especially for churches and civic groups that want to probably get involved. I was recently in San Diego and I looked up the statistics for human trafficking just in that city. And that's a nice city. You know, Southern California, great weather. It's an amazing city. It's an amazing city. And there's over 8,000 victims of human trafficking in that city. And the average age, which is really heartbreaking, is 15 years old. Now, a lot of folks would say, well, that's, that's San Diego. That's California. California, that's normal for exactly. them, right? Isn't that a, a statistic that could be dropped into almost any American city? The bigger the city, the more of a trafficking problem they're going to have, just just based on sheer numbers. You know, it's basically like when the, when the Super Bowl comes to town, there's a huge influx of reports of, of trafficking, and there's more sex ads that are going to increase dramatically in that city when a big sporting event is coming to that city. Well, because if there's a million people influx into that city, there's going to be more of a demand for sex going on in that city. Houston, more calls for trafficking come out of Houston, Texas than any other location. Well, it's a huge city, you know, and so there is going to be more calls. There's going to be more activity because just the sheer number of of people and maybe the geographical location, we're actually opening up a home outside of Houston. You know, bigger the city, the bigger the problem. But even here in Kentucky, people think, oh, you know, Kentucky just got horses and basketball, you know, but in 2018, human trafficking doubled in Kentucky from 2017. Part of that is because the drug epidemic, the opioid problem here in the state of Kentucky has just done nothing but increase, and that's going to bring more crime, it's going to bring more prostitution, and it's going to bring more human trafficking. And so the the reports of trafficking has doubled here. Larry, even yesterday, my daughter was telling me that at her school, there was a video that was going around that was being circulated of, you know, an individual who is 16 years old, who was doing some very inappropriate things, and she filmed herself, and it was being circulated around the school. And her and I were talking about that last night. I said, you know, one of the things I want you to, to be reminded of, she's going to be called all kinds of very inappropriate names by other people in the school. But I said, you of everybody, you ought to be reminded, because you've been a part of this for 10 years now, since you were basically six years old, know that that is a very, very hurting young lady here to find out. You know, she was adopted from a European nation. I said, you of anybody ought to remind people to say before you label her and before you completely judge her, there's probably a backstory. There is probably a backstory that would probably be shocking if you learned about it. She's seeking attention. This is the way that maybe, you know, again, this probably isn't her first time of doing this kind of stuff. And I said, these are the kind of stories since for 10 years of what we have worked with at Refuge for Women. During their teenage years, they were doing things that people would say was very, very inappropriate. But to them, that's all they knew as a way 
way to get attention, a way to survive, a way to get relationships with people. So one of the things that we offer on our website is a prevention program. I encourage people to say, where do you start? Maybe you're in the middle of a community that you'd go, oh, we don't have any problems with this kind of stuff. None of our kids are looking at pornography. None of our kids are even dabbling with things on social media. Well, first of all, I'd say there's probably more going on than what you realize. And all of that is planting seeds, and they are probably involved in more things than what as parents we would want to think that our kids are involved in. And so we've actually created some videos and created some content for youth pastors, for schools, to begin this conversation of what are the dangers today of social media? What are the the dangers with pornography? What is human trafficking? You know, how much does sexual abuse play into making people vulnerable to potential future problems if it does not get dealt with and it's just tucked away as a a dirty little secret that our our family has? And so on our website, refugeforwomen.org, there's actually a prevention tab and there's free materials that you can download. There's videos that you can utilize in youth groups and schools. We have faith-based track. We have a community track, you know. And so, again, I would encourage whether you're in a place where human trafficking is talked about all the time or whether you're just saying, hey, I just want to be proactive and begin a conversation so that kids in our communities at least are aware of the signs to be looking for for potential harm. You can go on our website, download that material, refugeforwomen.org. You can find all that. It's free of charge. So appreciate that. I mean, it's so important to get not only the message out, but resources out as well. So in the few minutes we have left, let's talk about when a woman really is seeking help and she comes to Refuge for Women, one of your five or seven. You have five houses currently up in operation. You have two more in in the process. So when they come to one of those houses, what happens? They apply for our program on our website, refugewomen.org. There's a need help. There's an application process. So we have a series of uh, interviews we take them through because right now, you know, we're in the process of opening up an emergency house here in Kentucky and then we're hoping to open up emergency houses at all of our locations where they can come in immediately. But right now it's a long-term home and so we take them through a, a series of of interviews and just make sure that they're aware of who we are, what they can plan to experience while they're with us, because it's a nine-month commitment. And so our hope is during that nine months that, again, we're going to take them through different classes. We're going to, you know, have some responsibilities for them around the house there. It's a communal living, six women per home. So we have 30 beds between the five houses. And, you know, they're going to go through some counseling. They're going to, you know, go to recovery meetings. They're going to be doing life with five other women in the house. There's a 24-7 staff that's going to be working with them. And, you know, we have different with the goal after that nine months that they're going to have full-time employment, they're going to have a safe place to live, and they're going to you know, have a foundation. They're going to have to continue to build upon, but it's a foundation of what life can look like for them outside of selling themselves day in and day out. And so, again, we hold their hands during that nine months to lead them to some, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to go back to school? Do you want to get a job? Do you want to have a place to live? Do you just want to get home? I mean, do you want to go back to, you know, Colorado? Or do you want to go back to Arizona and, and begin your life back there again? Or do you want to stay here, wherever you're, that you came to for that house? But we do relocate them so that, again, they're safe, that they're, you know, they're not in places where they're going to be found, where they can let their hair down and just really begin a, a whole new life again. It's a Christian environment. Loving, godly people are going to be around them, go to church on Sundays, and they're introduced to what we think will be a life-changing experience to them. About 60% of them will be baptized while they're with us. Not everybody will be. They don't have to be, but we sure do celebrate that, you know, if they begin that relationship with Jesus Christ. But we think that's a critical, critical piece to 
their journey, but not everybody chooses to accept right, that, you right. know, but they don't have to adopt that to be able to get services. But, but again, it's a, it's a day at a time. It's walking with them. You know, it's, it's not an easy journey for them because, you know, again, they're going to have to really, you know, embrace and, and experience and grieve the, the things that they've been through, but then also start to, to dream again about what life can look like in the future. So it's a, it's a pretty awesome experience for them. Well, we know that the gospel, when that is inserted into anyone's organization or life, it does change lives. And so Absolutely. the organization we've been talking about is Refuge for Women, and the executive director, Ked Frank, is with me. So, Ked, give us that website once again for people to yep. understand more about your ministry, if they want to get involved, if they want to donate, or they just yep. want to learn more about what they can do in, even in their own communities to address the issue. What's the website? Yeah, it's refugeforwomen.org, refugeforwomen.org. And, and again, we are supported by churches. We're supported by individuals. And so, you know, again, if you choose to partner with us, if you choose to sign up and receive our emails, you can follow us on Facebook as well, too, for, at Refuge for Women. But what you're going to find is that we're going to send out some pretty amazing stories. We're going to be talking about lives that are being changed. We're going to be talking about women that have chosen to follow Jesus Christ. And, and again, you can be part of a solution. You can be part of a solution. And so, so seven different locations we have right now. We're, we're looking to expand in those seven different locations. In five years, we'll have, we'll have 21 houses between those seven different locations. And so if, if you feel like this is something, as you, as you think about year-end, if you think about contributions, again, we would be thrilled for you to lock arms with us. And it's $100 a day per woman is what it costs for us to do what we do. And so whether you say, hey, I'm going to support a day or I'm going to support a month, we would be, be very, very thankful for your partnership with us. Thank you for joining us today. Every Friday, we bring you this podcast with interviews with people who are challenging the status quo of Christianity and challenging the cultural norms of our day. Please help us get the word out by sharing the link to this podcast with your online friends and family. Our website also contains other podcasters who are part of the City Sites network of communicators, all sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our website is citysitesurbanmedia.com.